And when we saw the theme, Free Indeed, it was actually, it's not my fault, it was actually her daughter who said, I know who we need to have speak about the theme Free Indeed. My mom has a testimony that fits perfectly with this theme. I have actually not heard her testimony, but others who had in our, in our steering team, planning team said, yes, let's have Natasha speak. So Natasha Moore um, raised three beautiful daughters, um, some of whom are in this group or have attended this group to visit, and um, she is now also assisting in hanging out with her grandbabies as well. And uh, we just appreciate her willingness to come and share just personally what God has done in her life to set her free and make her free indeed. So thank you, Natasha, for coming to speak to us. And please come up. Well, good morning. I am highly honored to be invited to come and speak to um, the most influential people in our community, moms. It is you who are boots on the ground in the war zone of um, the battle to make good people out of these little people that God has given you, right? And it is a challenge. We know those challenges, and so uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to look out and see all of your unique faces that behind each one, only God knows the details of all of your lives. It is those unique stories being shared that bring us together, that make connections in friendships, in family, and also in faith. So it is in that spirit that I'd like to share a piece of my story with you. You can see this gray hair, so don't be afraid. I'm not going to start back at 1969 and bring you all the way up to speed. We don't have that much time, right? There's not enough muffins on the table. I am married um, to Randy now of over 30 years. I don't feel that old, but uh, when I look in the mirror, it tells me a different story. So um, we're still young at heart together. God has given us three beautiful daughters, and we do have um, two babies in heaven. That's the piece that will choke me up every time. It doesn't matter how many years you go away from a loss. You feel it. We do look forward to seeing them again when we get there, knowing that God keeps them, <clears throat> keeps them safe right where um, he planned for them to be. And we've grown together through that. I do confess that this speaking uh, is probably the hardest thing I've ever had to put together. I've shared my testimony many times in a one-on-one, -on -one, but looking out at, um, at these faces, I know that some of the things I'm going to share may be a little um, touch a painful spot that you may have. And I share my testimony not to um, bring forth my story, but to tell you the story that brought me freedom from those things that brought such great pain and even freedom in the joys, freedom to live without uh, the fear of having to be perfect. That is true freedom. Uh, there. Um, my story is a complicated one. The journey has been more of a labyrinth 
through the thorns than a walk through the garden. Years ago, I wrapped all of my journals from childhood after just kind of perusing through the pages. I'm a, a, just a tad of a pack rat. Don't ask my children. I wrapped them in a brown paper bag, and I took them to my pastor, and uh, who had, I had spoken to prior, and he promised that the bag would not be opened. They would go in the burn barrel. So I knew if God wanted me to remember, he would give me the memories that I needed at just the right time to speak them forth to the ones who were in front of me. Mark Twain said, there are two most important days of your life, the day you're born and the day you find out why. I have been on a journey to find out why for 49 years. I started in the wonder years. That's where we all start. This is that time of learning where you, you're growing. You're growing physically and mentally. Socially, you start discovering consequences have actions. Like if I look in the giant uh, five-gallon bucket flower barrel, I might get stuck upside down. And my family would use that at every family get-together for the next 49 years or walking with your head hanging down and falling down the basement stairs, only to discover all the Christmas presents that were hiding down there. I like, I like that one myself. Um, my parents came from a very rough background themselves, each of them having um, an abusive upbringing, uh, abandoned, adopted out, brought back in, names were changed, um, traveling, being passed from family member to family member and never really feeling wanted. Both of them having that story. They got together and boy doesn't that sound like a marriage made in heaven. Just doomed for success, right? Right. I said that correctly. <laughs> They uh, were each custodial, sole custodial parents, two children when they got together. My dad had two and my mom had one. They became migrant fruit pickers up and down the West Coast, traveling um, from town to town wherever the fruit was being harvested. And they had four kids in tow with my brother coming in as a, into that blended family. One of my earliest memories then would be sitting in a galvanized bucket with big leather straps and seeing my mom on this pointy shaped ladder throwing down bean cherries. And she'd say, remember, spit the pit. <laughs> I keep that memory close to my heart because imagine living in a tent or a labor camp and traveling with four kids, sometimes in the back of the old white Ford pickup truck, and finding out just a couple of months after your fourth child's first birthday that you were pregnant again. It was the 60s, and my parents knew they had choices. I've talked to my parents about this before, and um, they kind of put their head down. And then I tell them, it's okay. I know it had to be hard. But they chose life. 
and 20 months later I was born, <clears throat> that's really where my story begins because that would come up over and over in my life. I knew that no matter how crazy things got, I was wanted. And my parents, they had no example of what parents look like. They did the very best they could, but they always, always let me know that I was wanted. I appreciate that about them, and they're getting older now, and I've told them, thank you. Thank you for always telling me I was wanted. Thank you for the hugs and the love and just the time spent. One of my, uh, my next earliest memory is sitting in a courtroom in a long wooden bench reading a little Donald Duck with Huey, Dewey, and Louie getting in the latest mischief, and my parents dressed in nice clothes standing before a very large wooden bench and a man dressed in black, and my parents were fighting. And the judge, I would come to find out later, um, awarded my mom custody of me and my brother and her son that she already had. And my dad would go uh, away with his two children that he brought to the marriage, only to find it too difficult to continue to take care of them and put them in the foster care system. I would see them just a few more times up to now in my life. Um, siblings across the states. My mom would go on to have two younger sisters of mine, 10 and 13 years younger. So there are seven of us all together. I'm right smack in the middle of my mom's kids and the baby of my dad's kids, like the two worst positions in the family, right? Because everybody thinks you're spoiled on one side and everybody blames everything on you on the other side. So that does mean that, yes, we were a blended family for a short time and continuously over and over. Um, and I have siblings that I love, that I know, that I hold dear, that have never met each other. My parents are a story of survival by sheer will, hard work, and a search for freedom. Freedom from the past. They long for peace in the present and security in the future. They instilled that in all of my siblings. My dad is on his seventh marriage, going on 25 years now. I'm very proud of him for that. Love her to death. Little gal from Arkansas. I love the way she says my name. Natasha. <laughs> I have gotten her to short it just to say Tosh so that the, the speech goes a little bit faster when we're talking. But uh, my mom is on her eighth marriage. They just had their 15th anniversary. I'm very proud of my mom. There was a mantra throughout the years as we moved continuously because, you know, that town had those memories and they didn't just marry the next person they ran into. There was dating in between and so it was a constant um, in and out, in and out of people in my, in my household. Dad left when we were uh, three, and I wouldn't see him again until I was eight, and then 11, and then 17. But there was an occasional card in the mail, and uh, we're trying to keep up with the letters of this wife and that wife's name, and it got a little confusing. My parents do laugh about it now, so I'm not um, telling anything on them that would make them want to hide under the table. I was a terrible step kid. Man. 
those of you who have been part of a blended family um, or are a blended family now, I can tell you from that side of it, you just want to know that you're wanted. I remember telling one guy, don't unpack. That was my welcome to the family. We weren't at all the weddings. Sometimes my mom would just come home married. And it meant moving again, around and around and up and down. My mom liked to put a map up on the wall, literally, and throw a dart. And that's where we'd go. The uh, unthinkable happens when you bring children along and the mantra is, kids are to be seen and not heard, you take their voice away from them and they stop talking to you. And kids will adjust. Well, they, they kind of don't. And these are the things I heard all my life and what it translated to in my mind was, you're just along for the ride. Sit down, shut up, and just keep uh, being along for the ride. Well, moving gets old after a while, and when you're the new kid in school all the time, we never moved in the summer. Every year it was January, February. And schools have different criteria, and sometimes, boy, I was the smart kid coming in because <laughs> I was three steps ahead of those kids, and we'd moved to a new school district, and oh my goodness, I have never seen that math before in my life. So I learned to make myself as small as possible. To be seen and not heard. To perfect every piece of homework so that I would get A's and never, ever have to stand up and give any kind of oral report, ever. God does have a sense of humor. He would use that against me later. Clearly, my mom was um, amazing in her heart of generosity, often bringing home uh, the strays. She would bring home um, the local strip club dancers. They loved my chocolate chip cookies. Wasn't until later that I found out those funny cigarettes they smoked or why they loved my chocolate chip cookies. The hitchhikers that just seemed to need a place to stay. Homeless families, alcoholic seniors who'd been thrown out by their families who had long given up and were disgusted. I'd been to friends' houses and had not seen people like that at their houses. These were my wonder years. I came to realize that we were motel kids. We were the homeless kids. We were the kids of alcoholics who were thrown out by their families who had long given up on them. We were the kids of hitchhikers. That's why my mom loved them, because she identified with them. And yes, my mom was a dancer when she met my dad, of which he quickly uh, quit her job for her and brought her home. She didn't know how to be a mom. She hadn't had a loving mother, but man, she did the best she could. So siblings in and out, there was one point where I was the only one at home. Brother was at camp, it was the 70s, so camp was called Get High on Life. <laughs> you know, it was the 70s. Um, I was left with a 15-year-old step cousin, 
and the unthinkable did happen. You know, my mother was a detailed, amazing, gifted seamstress. She could sew anything. My first grade picture, I'm wearing the, the kitchen curtains. We were kind of poor, and it was the cute little ruffle thing, and I love that picture. I'm like, I knew those were the kitchen curtains, and I was kind of embarrassed going to school, but now I look at it and I think, wow, she took those kitchen curtains and wanted me to have a new outfit because everybody else was going to have a new outfit for a picture day, and she made me a new outfit. I had curtains in my room that she had made for me. They had lambs on them, lambs drinking out of still waters, lambs sitting on green pastures. I remember the details of those curtains rather than the happening around me and what was happening to my body. And that's the mercy of the memories that God has given me for my mom's love in every stitch that let me know that I was wanted and this was not in God's plan in having me go through that, I thought at the time. Well, we had the stepdads in and out too, not just the boyfriends, and so there were the kind ones. Um, they always brought presents at the beginning. That was kind of awesome. I could get peanut butter Captain Crunch endlessly uh, from every one of them, really, over the years. I'm not ashamed to say, you know. Uh, they'd come in, and then things would change to however they were going to have it be. They let us know who was boss, often pulling us out of bed for their drunken brawls, waving a loaded gun around just to let you know who's boss and you had to endure for hours. As siblings, we clung together, whichever ones of us were at home at the time, and boy, by the time the wonder years were over, I was exhausted, even as a child. So I began the wander years that time when you break away from everything you know as family. You've been so family focused. Where your family goes, you have to go. What they say, you have to do. Now it's time to just discover. What do I think? What do I need? I need to look out for myself because, man, nobody else is. My brothers did the best they could. I, I like to tell people I was raised by two guys. <laughs> My brothers did the best they could, and they did an amazing job of always making sure I had shoes on my feet, and I have had terrible eyesight forever, and I always had a new pair of glasses when I needed them. So bless their hearts for that. They're, they're amazing men even today. So um, this discovery time of just breaking out didn't go so well. Because when you try it on your own and you just start thinking, what do I think? And you just don't know what to think. And you start getting opinions from everywhere. Peer pressure becomes uh, almost a comfort because you don't know what to think. So you just pick the, most, the group that's most accepting of you and you just do what they do. Well, the other lost and wandering kids um, had a group, didn't matter where we lived, there was always a group of the lost throwaway kids uh, we like to call ourselves. They would find ways to escape life. 
It came in the form of drinking, drugs, um, sexual hookups, running away, running from life. We were so imprisoned by the darkness of our childhood and no one was giving us a light of hope. But God, but God, he never let go. He never left. Uh, I remember bits and pieces of going to different churches and learning different things and uh, even cult churches and uh, there was a time of necromancy uh, which is um, seances and um, things that my mom was into and took us to as children and um, calling in demons and talking to them and seeing things that most people wouldn't believe if you told them anyway so I usually don't but I knew that demons were real because I felt like I had one on my back for years. And if that demon was in control, that meant I wasn't really free to do whatever I wanted. The drugs just made it worse. I'd see friends take the next few steps uh, beyond what I was willing to go and the horrors of what withdrawals or overdoses look like. I was done. By the end of the wander years, I was done. I was the primary caregiver to my little sisters, 10 years and 13 years younger than me. And um, my mom had a way of asking whenever I wanted to do something apart from home, and she'd say, do you really think you deserve that? And feeling the way I did, my answer was always the same, no, I don't deserve it. And so I'd stay home and I'd take care of the kids and I didn't know how to mother. I watched my mother do the best she could and I gave them loves and hugs just like my mom gave me. I'd read them stories, my mom would read stories for hours when she was able to be home or when she came home. I came home one day and there was a note on the table with $20. It said, gone out of town for a job, be back in a few weeks, water the trees. I was a freshman in high school and had, I couldn't drive, I was 30 miles outside of Phoenix in the middle of the desert. I was at a loss and I was alone. I began to make friends with the girl next door who always looked like she was gonna beat me up, you know that girl that everybody's afraid of in high school. But, you know, her and my brother were friends, and my brother was gone then, living in his car, and my other brother away in the military, so neither one of them could take me. And I had my sisters, and now they were gone too. I took that note and that $20 next door, and her mom heard me say this to her, what was going on, and she, in her sweet little humming voice all the time, uh, Canadians and had the sweetest northern accent. She picked up the $20 in the, the note and she put it in a cookie jar. And I know that part of me thought, that lady just took my money. <laughs> she didn't say anything, but I didn't have a choice. And uh, my friend said, you will spend the night here tonight. 
well, I'm not going to go home by myself, so that sounds good to me. And the trees died. And they brought home a twin bed, saying nothing. Put the twin bed upstairs in the bedroom and said to me, dinner is at 6 o'clock. That's your chair. And that's, that's just how it was. I, I found somewhere where I was wanted. And though I knew my parents always wanted me, they just didn't know what to do with me. Just they didn't know what to do with themselves. So I call them my Spurgeon family. That's their name, Spurgeon. And uh, to this day, my Spurgeon family. Uh, when I go back west to visit, I go home to my Spurgeon family. And then I go visit my family. And uh, there's always a room for me there. There's always breakfast. Always dinner at 6 o'clock. Drink all your milk and the second glass, too. They were trying to fat me up, and I'm like, well, look at me now. <laughs> I can skip the milk. Mom Spurgeon, it'll be okay. When my family came back, they wanted to pick up where they left off, and I just couldn't. I'd seen a tiny taste of what family and freedom look like. I, I saw what it looked like to really be loved and wanted in a, in a good way. And when I was forced to go back home, I waited for the parents to leave. I put my sisters in a very safe place, and I went into the kitchen, and I began to fill my hand with every pill I could find in the cabinets. I had just had my appendix out not too terribly long before that and had, I am not good with pain pills. They make me horribly sick. So I had almost a full bottle. Contact cold medicine, aspirin. I just remember the myriad of rainbow in my hand and I took them all and I went and I tucked myself in bed. And I slept. What a selfish, selfish decision. What would become of my sisters? My brothers, I was the glue in the middle. My mom thought I was sick, so she just let me sleep. I slept for two nights. I slept for two whole days, and I woke up. And when I sat up and realized I was still in that same spot that I thought was hell before, I had an immediate knowing not knowing anything of God, anything of scripture. I knew nothing of Jesus except he was a cuss word my family used. I knew that God did this. He kept me alive. I knew in my mind there's no reason. I'd seen people overdose before. I knew it could work. I was alive, and I wanted to know The two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. And now I was on a quest like nobody's business. I wanted to know why. I moved out. I took my sisters with me for purely selfish reasons. I wanted to hold them, to mother them, to be needed. I couldn't keep them eventually. Mom came and I had to give them back. And I started to work. 
I had worked a job since uh, eight years old for, for pay. My first babysitting job, I had a newborn, just four days old when I was eight years old so that our moms could go out. And uh, the cat started making horrible noises, horrible noises. I got kind of scared. So I went and got the neighbor, who then called the police. And after all the kittens were born, they drove me home. I know that that was God's timing. I, I didn't need to be where I was. But I started cleaning, and I started babysitting, and I just started working. And so that, that work ethic was in me, and I just kept working and working. And I would go door to door in Phoenix, 14 years old. Please, can I clean your house for cash? I think about that now, and oh, how dangerous that was. 14-year-old girl at your door saying, I have no one and no one's with me. Please let me come into your house. Shocks even me right now. So the suicide didn't work. The drugs didn't work. And if it doesn't work, I, I don't just keep beating my head against the wall. I stopped. The drinking worked. I could drink and sleep and wake up and drink and sleep. I watched grown men drink beside me the same amount and go away vomiting and I could take it I could keep taking it and I could iron stomach I don't know but by age 13 I had a heart rhythm defect and an ulcer that I had to take medication for not something I recommend as an escape from freedom because when you wake up you're still there you have the same pain the same stress well, in my drinking years, I met a guy who came to my house to see his brother. This puffed up, arrogant guy had just turned 21 and I had just turned 17 and I had paid my rent through the end of the month uh, at this boarding house, which was my mother's boarding house. But I'd paid my rent, I wasn't going anywhere, my apartment wasn't ready and his brother was on the couch. So he came to visit and saw me, thought I was this little 14 year old girl Thank you very much, 17. <laughs> I'd already lived out of home for three years, um, but sometimes finding my, my room back at the boarding house where my mom was. And he wanted to go out with me. In fact, his brother was gonna ask me out. He took off work early and came to my house to beat his brother. And I said, you know, I already have my ticket to the Ozzy Osbourne concert. If you really wanna take me out, you can take me to that. But there's a catch. I'd come out of a terrible relationship with a drug addict and um, who I lived with for several years while I was in high school. And my brothers were back, back in town and back in my life and they were extremely strict and protective. So I said, he was a cowboy from head to toe. He had the Stetson, the Wranglers, and the Ropers, and I was head over heels, and here I am in my heavy metal. Spikes, black makeup, long hair, my concert t-shirts. Boy, did we get stares when we walked in the mall holding hands. <laughs> but he wanted to take me out, so I said, two conditions, you can't wear those clothes, we'll be killed in an Aussie concert, and we have to take my brother because when my brothers got me back, they were determined not to let me go too far out again, but they needed some time to get their own lives straightened up so they could take care of me again. 
So even though I lived on my own, my brothers were kind of still in charge. And sure enough, he wanted to go out with me. So on the night of the concert, he showed up in all new clothes. I should have known then he was a shopper, ladies. Just, I'm just saying, 30 years later, I'm like, there was my first clue. And uh, my brother got in the truck and went on our first date with us. And that was almost 32 years ago. It was a rocky road, but that began the wonderful years. Oh my goodness, we fought. We began to plan a wedding and we started fighting over religion. He had one and I didn't. And my family was not only not religious, they were pretty anti-religious. It didn't, the, God was the man upstairs, the magic genie that would grant your wish and that is it. You made your own heaven, you made your own hell, and you live with the consequences. When you die, nothing happens, period. And he began to say things to me that were so foreign, but they felt different. It felt different than when my family said something. It felt true, but I didn't really know what true was. So we had this very tumultuous relationship. Uh, he started to have feelings for me like he'd never had for anybody else, and that scared him. So he would go away from me and date other girls and just couldn't get me out of his head. He'd come back, but then he'd go away again and do it all over again. Well, I began to have the flu that never went away. I was sleeping through classes. I had um, talked to the... Uh, I talked the vice principal in the school where I lived and worked to sign for me so that I could at least try to go back to high school um, because I just always worked. And I made it nine weeks that year. And I was, I just knew I was sick. My mom took me to a clinic because I still didn't drive. I lived in the city in Phoenix. I took the bus everywhere. She took me to a clinic and they came in and said, you're three months pregnant, and we can schedule you next Tuesday to take care of this problem. Come back, and uh, here's the pamphlet on abortion. And I was 17, and I was alone, but I wasn't scared. All of a sudden, the moment I put my feet down from the bed when I woke up, those years earlier, I knew this is it. This is it. I was going to have a chance to be the superhero, the, the most amazing thing on earth, a mother. This was my chance. This was my freedom. This was where, how life was going to change. And oh my gosh, I've got to tell Randy. <laughs> when it came down to it, I couldn't do it. I made his brother tell him and he came right back. And we we're together and broke up and together and broke up. And now if I terrified him about getting married and all those marriages and we were just terrified, who are we to get married? Our parents were in and out of relationships like Kleenex. But we, we made it, we stuck it out. And uh, our daughter was born in July of 1987. Three days of all natural labor. I'm not a super mom. I was just too exhausted to feel the pain. <laughs> the cord was wrapped around her neck three times, and I had the longest three minutes of my life when she came out not crying. 
Randy was on a date and nowhere to be found. But he came back. He came back after that. And I said, listen, I can do this on my own. I am a survivor, and I can do it. It's me and her against the world. But when he saw that little face, he knew he was done for. He loved us both, and eventually things worked together, and we got married in September of that year, a whole year and a half after planning the first wedding. We would lose two more babies in the next two years, and we had our second one four years after that, and during a huge earthquake in California. <laughs> She's been shaking things up ever since, that's what I tell her. Three and a half years later, we welcomed our youngest daughter. My husband immediately uh, quit his um, journeyman wages, high-paying job in San Diego and hopped into a semi-truck and left. Not leaving us for good, but chasing his dream because he didn't know the freedom yet either. We would eventually move to Missouri and it was the first time I was away from my whole family. It was just Randy and I and our children. It was our family. And I was getting to know my in-laws. And I joined a book club. And uh, gosh, I read everything I could get my hands on. Not being able to go to school when you want to. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for libraries. Because I had school in my lap, no matter where I was. I opened this beautiful gift that came. And inside was a Bible. I had inadvertently join a Christian book club, <laughs> and the free gift was a Bible. <clears throat> I got up early one morning, because I didn't know what Randy would think, and I went outside on the patio and I opened the book. And since I was a kid, I would draw, and my favorite number is five. I don't know why, but it's five. And I'm like, oh look, 55. And right at the top of the page was 5511, Isaiah 5511. My word will not return to me void, but will go forth and accomplish its purposes. I have for it. I put it down. And I thought, oh my goodness, I don't even know what that means. I speak English. I read English. I'm a pretty smart kid. This is going to be harder than I thought. I felt the darkness lifting. I wanted to know how to be a better wife, a better mother, a better person. I wanted that freedom from past, from guilt. I wanted peace in the present, no more chaos ruling the day. I wanted that demon off my back. I longed for security. I wanted true freedom. I was going to church regularly at that time and hearing things I'd never heard. I mean, if you've never heard it, why are they singing about these bloody lambs? It was gross. <laughs> and they want to be washed in it. I'm like, oh, what have I stepped into? No wonder my mom hid from them there her whole life. I couldn't make sense of it. Well, my mother-in-law was invited to a Bible study fellowship class. They had a day class on Wednesday morning, and uh, you know the childcare costs for three kids, woo, couldn't afford it. So I was home during the day for the first time in my life. I didn't have a job outside of the home because working mother is pff, just a given. If you're a mother, you are working. <laughs> I started in September 1996, and I began to hear things that did not sit well with me. 
While at the same time at church, we were studying the Ten Commandments, and I realized I was in really big trouble with God because I knew how to break every single one of them. I'd watched my mom do it. I'd seen my, heard my dad doing it. I was tutored in how to break some of those commandments by people who came in and out of our house. Oh gosh, I found some people that I felt were trustworthy and I said, can I ask you questions as we go along? And they said, yes. I'm sure they regretted that. Because <laughs> boy, did I have questions and I began to learn and I began to understand the truth about God and who he is, creator, sovereign, king, loving father. That was new to me. Someone who never leaves you, who protects you, I began to learn the truth about me, sin, what is that? I am offending God in my very presence on this earth, living my, in my own. The truth about Jesus, the truth about my reasonable, it is reasonable to respond to Jesus and say, this is not working out. I need you. I need freedom. On November 5th in 1996, I said yes. I learned that freedom, true freedom, is not an escape from life. It's an embracing of life and life abundantly that comes only through God. That's why Jesus came. I, I finally got it. Why would he want to come here with all of us when he could stay there? But he knows we feel captive. He came to set the captives free. He didn't just open the cage door. He eliminated the cell. We are trapped by our past. He knows it. We're stuck in our present. He knows it. We are scared for our future and our children's. He knows it. He came that we might have life and not just survive by sheer will, hard work, and an endless search for freedom. Because when you come to Christ, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. I found it. The two most important days in your life, the day you were born and the day you find out why, I found out why. Because Jesus. I was free, free from perfectionism, free from the fear of what the leaders of the country are doing, free from being alone ever again, free from being family-focused, free from being self-focused, and free, yes, from even being others-focused because I was free to just focus on God and all these things were added unto me. That is what it means to be free. And did I think I'd be 49 years old and raising a two-year-old, <laughs> helping, helping to raise a two-year-old? Because I have a daughter in the wander years. And I pray and I pray that all of those I love, friends new and friends old and family too, know this freedom in Christ. Free to love, free to live, free to laugh, free to cry, and free to cry out to God. That is to be free indeed. Can I pray over you? Father God, thank you for the opportunity to come and see these beautiful faces, the world changers that you have granted this amazing gift of motherhood to. 
And for those that know the pain of loss, I pray that you give them a peace of knowing those babies are waiting for them, that they would trust Christ and be free in the Son means that they will forever have someone with them, in them, and loving them. They are wanted. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, ladies.